Welcome to the Restoring the Sacred Circle podcast. This episode, we welcome Ahinas Sipes. Ahinas has spent many years working on the front lines as a consultant and facilitator, educating individuals, families, and communities on issues regarding problematic sexual behavior of youth. This discussion is focused on Indian country and the issues that are specific to our people and for the caregivers that work on the front lines. If you would like more information on problematic sexual behavior of youth in Indian country, check out the website ncsby.org and download a free copy of the Our Children Are Sacred Toolkit. Thank you and enjoy. Thank you for joining us, Ahanas. Uh, would you mind uh, uh, telling me your name, your title, where you're calling in from? My name is Clifford Ahanas Sipes. Um, I work with the National Center on the Sexual Behavior of Youth as a consultant for the development of Youth Voice. So I'm a facilitator for what's called the Youth Partnership Board which is youth who have completed the program for problematic or illegal sexual behavior. And um, they have chosen to come back and act as a youth voice for NCSBY. So that's my um, direct relation with, with working with PSB. But in my other, in, in, in another role, um, I work in the mental health system in Oklahoma and I train mental health professionals and non-mental health professionals on how to work with youth and families with behavioral health disorders and trauma and addiction and all those different issues. Wow. So you are doing a lot. Well, that's good. Um, in your own words, uh, define PSB or problematic sexual behavior. So I would say that pro- like for like in general or for children? For children. Okay. So I'd say any behavior that is not typically developmentally normal. Um, yeah, so that is my answer. Okay, yeah, that's good. And in your work, so with the Youth um, Advisory Board and with mental health programs, what are some other terms that might be used to describe PSB? So I, I, I've seen just from my own experience that if you don't, if you're not familiar and, and really buy into um, the treatment of problematic sexual behavior of children, like you're just not familiar with it. Um, I've seen a lot of the harmful terms like juvenile sex offender or um, a sexual deviant. Like I've heard those terms to describe children with, with PSB. And I don't think that, I don't think by, by any means is that like intentional. Um, I think it's just a lack of education in general. However, I, I see that at all levels. So I see that being described by um, like families who know of a child with PSV, whether it's their own or in their extended family or extended community. Um, I've, I've seen that with clinicians, mental health professionals, law enforcement, education really every person that that would come in contact with the children um but but ultimately i'd say like by by no means do i think it's do do i think it's malicious i think it's just a lack of education and understanding yeah that's really good 
Uh, it sounds like you have a lot of experience working with youth and families with PSB. Uh, can you think back to a time or a story that, um, and just kind of kind of walk us through what happened, um, and that might be where you were at, uh, who was involved in the response or the treatment, and what the outcome was. Um, so, in my official role, like now, I, I I work with, as I said, like youth or very very fresh young adults who have finish their program that's like more, more more directly but earlier in my career I would come in contact with families who who at the time I didn't know what it was called I didn't know um like I, I it was beyond me it, like the skill set to address it or to even know what to do was beyond me at the time um so that, that was much er, er, earlier on but I would say for for me like what, what always came to my mind is that there was always a it, it was very easy to see that it, it was always like there's a lack of supervision by the family, a lack of understanding what was maybe developmentally normal or developmentally not normal. Um, and I, because at the time I'll definitely meant this, I and also the people around me, along with the family and the other people who, who are part of who are part of the intervention, really had no idea what to do. Um, I think it was because it, it just, it, it was just so outside the scope of, of what people are traditionally trained on. The other thing too, I think that because it's something sexual, um, be, be, because, because of, because even stigma or, or, or misunderstandings just around, around sexual behavior in general, um, I think that can be very intimidating for a lot of professionals if they're not like, like, like trained on it, if they don't know, like correct words to use or, or if they're just if they just if it's something that they're just not used to talking about it can be very very in intimidating so that was like early in my career now um in, in my official role i don't come in contact with youth until after they have finished the program um for treatment on psb i do get a lot of questions of providers in the field now um of a family that that they are working with, um, but I don't have direct contact with them. And 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 usually I give them the a uh, the proper re referral source of of what to do or who to contact um, if, if PSB is an issue. But typically, my main focus is um, what I try to advocate for is. Um, for professionals and individuals and really everybody, but especially youth who, to be educated on like consent, body autonomy and sex laws and, and to try and, and to try to identify who are adults in young people's life who are willing to have honest conversations about pornography, about sex, about sexual health and safe sex practices. Yeah, I, think I don't know if that answered that question, but that's, that's my answer. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. Um, switching gears a little bit to the toolkit, I know you've been involved in its development, you've reviewed it extensively. Um, can you tell me how you think that this toolkit can be used in in your work? Um, so the toolkit, I was really impressed by it because every time that I thought, I like every time I would say, well, is it going to address this? And then like that next section would be about that. So all of, all the questions or stuff that, that I 
had going in were like addressed or, or answered, but I, I really liked it. Um, my own personal opinion on the toolkit would be, um, I think it's great. I think that, actually, I don't think I know that. There's a lot of communities, especially rural communities, that when 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 complex issues like this come up, um, and it reaches, I guess, higher level TA providers or, or helpers to, to assist these communities. There's a lot of like, yeah, but, or we tried that already, you know, and I, I think that that comes from communities just feeling um, like they have tried everything, that they are exhausted. Um, and, 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 that, and that happens, that, that, that happens to be my own work. But the reason why I bring that up is because this toolkit really addresses almost everything that, that I think. And if you had somebody who, um, I, I really think if the toolkit was in the hands of, of, of somebody who understood how to work with indigenous communities, who understood how to work with children with PSB, who understood how to work in rural communities, was really good at youth engagement, really good at community engagement. If that toolkit was in the hands of that person, I could see that person just being a fantastic educator, um, a fantastic helper of, of building community capacity to address PSB, um, and also on, on, on the prevention side too. So I, I think this toolkit in the hands of the right person could really help a community um, develop into what every community should be if they want to be successful with working with children and youth with PSB. That's really encouraging. I'm glad that that it's useful. Um, I, you know, kind of thinking about um, specific chapters of the toolkit and the fact sheets. Are there things in the toolkit that you think would be really important to highlight or give to tribal communities? Like, are there certain parts of it that you think maybe are more usable than others? I, I would say it really just, and I think I think this is a strength to, to the toolkit. I think it really just depends on the need of that individual community. Um, what comes to my mind first when you ask that question is that what I have found most helpful in my work and the way that I would use it was just general education of terms and labels. Like if, I, uh, like if we were just even going to start the conversation, I, I remember at, at the beginning, it talked about this a little bit. I, I kind of wish I'd go into it more, but I know that's it, it may not be the purpose of it. But um, general typical development or, or, or like what, what is normal sexual development of children, but also like correct terms and labels. I know some of that is mentioned, um, but on, on the work that I do when it comes to like reducing risk factors of all kinds, I always say that, you know, um, adult professionals need, 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 need to become experts in consent and body autonomy. And so I, I wish the like consent, body autonomy, um, and sex laws were like more like more defined and i'd say if if i was using the toolkit for 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 just meeting a, a community and building awareness that's where i would start um and that's how I, I would use the toolkit i would then go into and and i think this is my my own experience as, as a ta provider because it's usually i come in and they ask questions but based on the questions i would receive um, I'm not familiar enough with the toolkit to do this, but I know I could if I spent enough time with it, was if they were to ask me questions, I could just flip to whatever section 
was needed and literally read it right out of the toolkit. And I think that's, I think that's how it could be most beneficial um, to me or, 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 or to communities, but, but to model to others how if you become familiar with this toolkit, you could get the same knowledge or information that I do. And, and, and you wouldn't need like a, like, like you, you, you wouldn't need a person to do it, but you could have this booklet or, or this toolkit for you to review it yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really helpful. One of the, the questions I have, we focus a, a lot on like uh, MDTs and the toolkit and also the referral process and data collection. What is the scenario that happens like in tribal communities when P a PSB incident occurs? Like, can you talk about that briefly? I'd say there, there's two things that come to my mind. The, the first one is that I've seen there's a lot of families that come into services for a variety of reasons. And the, the family and the people and the adult professionals who are able to help them um, become wildly successful at everything. Uh, like like all, all the issues that they're dealing with eventually become very manageable. They, they, they learn skill sets, they, they're empowered, all that stuff. But I've seen where PSB ends up being like, the secret that goes unaddressed or unacknowledged because of like shame and stigma and all that stuff. And so I, so, so the first thing I would mention is that again, like there's families that they get, they get all the help they need, except because of this shame and stigma or, or, or whatever, whatever else is going on. This is like the elephant in the room or like the black sheep of the problems that the family's dealing with. And no one really like acknowledges it or addresses it because it just is, they're, they're intimidated, but professionals are intimidated by it. They don't know how to ask the right questions or they just don't know what to do because it opens up a big can, can, can of worms. So, so that, that's, that's the first one. Um, the second one, especially for rural communities, and I just had a phone call last night about this, was um, an issue like this comes up and in rural communities, there's usually a designated provider somewhere and um, for whatever reason, the family or, or, or the individuals that are trying to help this family don't have, um, don't have confidence in the designated providers because, because they're the only game in town or because maybe it's so rural or maybe th there's a lack of communication. And so, and so I think what, where this toolkit helps out is that it, it, it already lays out, this is what the proper process should look like. And so when you know what the proper process should look like or have a clear direction of, of what that potentially could be, it makes it a lot easier to identify where the pitfalls are or, or, the, or the shortcomings are or, or the areas where we can fill the gaps and, and identify those holes a lot easier um, instead of having to do it, which is most of the time finding out the hard way by experience. Um, so, so I think that that's really helpful there because because I remember when, when it talked about like the referral process, it kind of laid out generally, this is what it should look like. And so if you're able to take that to a community and show them that, hey, generally, this is what this should look like. Having that standard already can, I, can help you identify where the pitfalls are already instead of having a family go through the process and having everybody learn by experience <laughs> um, before in the hard way.
But I think that's really helpful and the, you know, the referral process is always different in a book versus what happened. So thanks for yeah. your insight on that. So is, is it okay if I mention something else about that? Yeah. On, on the, the on, on the tree of referring somebody, I, th I definitely think it would be helpful to have what is the referral process for a classroom teacher? What is the referral process for a law enforcement? What is the referral process for a neighbor? What is the referral process for like a parent or a family member? And so on that tree, like I know you guys had laid that out a little bit. And I really think that, that that's a great way to flesh that out more within within a community. So I think so so I think recognizing that the way that I would refer is probably much different than a way a family um, like like a classroom teacher would refer. So it may be the process may be a little bit different, but the destination should ultimately be, be the same. So I thought that was sorry, excuse me. Um, I thought that was really interesting and really helpful, but also recognizing that. That, that depending on your relationship with any given child, um, it, it changes how the referral process may, may go. You're absolutely right. And that kind of leads into my next question about dissemination of the toolkit and who, who would find this useful? Like, what are some ideas for disseminating it throughout uh, Indian country? I think, so I, I think this is the problem with all toolkits that are like this which is like, we have this great resource and I think it's easy to hand it to somebody and then they put it in their desk or on top of their desk and it just sits there. Um, and, and I think, and, 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 that, and that, that's where it goes back to, to where I said earlier that if this toolkit was paired with the right disseminator, I guess, um, to teach communities how to use it, I think that's, I think that's where the magic can happen. Um, in a perfect world, I, I know I said this already, but in a perfect world, I, I would like to see somebody who, 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 who understands youth engagement, understands how to build community capacity, who understands, um, PSB, um, who, and also understands how to work with indigenous people. If that person had this toolkit in their hand, I really think that they could go into a community and really maximize the toolkit's potential and maximize the community's potential in using it. I think that's I think that's the best way to do it. I don't know how realistic that is though. I think I think what is more realistic is that um, if, if those who work in training communities um, in regards to children on, on how to work with, with children with PSB, for indigenous communities, um, I think asking them that in their trainings to refer back to the toolkit or to use sections of the toolkit in training and educating, so that way they can model. <clears throat> sorry, so that way that they can model how beneficial it can be. Um, and so, let's say, for example, like somewhat like kind of like what I said earlier that let's say like you're given a webinar about this topic, and somebody asks you a question. Um, instead of saying, instead of, instead of saying, you know what, um, this is what you can do in using your own knowledge, just go over like, well, in this toolkit right here on page, like right here at this paragraph, it states this. And so modeling and using the, like, like the, uh, like modeling and using the toolkit as much as possible 
Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's, those are really good, good ideas for, and that was the whole thing. Like we want something that people would use. Well, let's, um, I guess just to wrap up, there's two questions. Um, what will you do differently because of the toolkit in your work? I would say like right now, I don't like right now, the population that I serve is, is, is general. I serve like a general population of everybody. So I don't have any specialized populations that I'm designated to serve. Um, but I do get asked, you know, I am an indigenous person. <laughs> so I do get asked um, by my colleagues when they have questions, when they're working with, with an American Indian family or they're working with providers who are working with an American Indian family. One of the things that I recognize that I think the toolkit does really well was that when it comes to addressing PSB and like all good interventions, especially when it regards to children, children don't get better unless their parents do too. But also, I think also for indigenous people, um, this toolkit points out, here's an opportunity that even though there's a very specific intervention that, that, that is needed, here, here's an opportunity to improve the quality of life across the board for everybody involved. I think what I will do differently is, is probably focus on, yes, we're here for a specific intervention or a specific behavior or even a specific diagnosis of some kind because again I work on the mental health side um, I, I, I will try to model or continue to try to model better that even though we're here for this specific reason this is an opportunity to improve the quality of life for this family across the board and also the community in which they reside in yeah no I love that that's what it's all about so uh, final thoughts any advice for communities working with youth with PSD or just um, in general? One, one of the things that I have really pushed over the last two, three years in my work is, is on the education prevention side, which is just, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a, an, an adult, an adult professional who works with young people and you want to be successful, become an expert on consent and body autonomy um, and safe sex practices, but, 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 but more specifically consent and body autonomy. Because I think those two principles, when you really understand that, it, perme it permeates all the work that you do. Um, and if you're an adult that is just talking about those things already, when the issue arises, you're gonna feel much more comfortable, much more confident, equipped to deal with issues that are related to that. But also I think this is, I think this is the, more, the more important one. If you're an adult who's already having these conversations before they're needed, when young people have questions or are or, 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 or nearing a crisis that involves this, they're much more likely to come to you. And because you're educated, um, and, and, be, and because you're educated, and because you have also educated young people around you about those topics, you're building resilience for everybody. Um, so I would say, I think that's the biggest one. So, so in regards to PSV, but I think just, just working with young people in general, um, become an expert in consent and body autonomy and always model it um, because that can make a person a safe person. Well, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to share or talk about? I like the toolkit. Um, it was much more pleasant to read as a hard copy than it was reading it on my phone. 
So I'm really glad I got the hard copy when I did. Well, I'm glad. We're really thankful that you agreed to be involved and then um, just thank you for all your patience. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We welcome you to share this information to whoever you think would benefit. For more information on the topic of problematic sexual behavior of youth in Indian country, please log on to our website, ncsby.org, and download a free copy of the toolkit. This podcast project is supported by grant number 2019-MCFX. K022, awarded by the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention, Office of Justice Programs, U.S. Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this publication are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Justice.